I, I love that. I love one of the lines in that song where it says that God's word is food for famished souls. I don't, I don't know whether you feel famished. I don't know whether you feel hungry, where you feel, I, I just, I feel a bit empty. I just want to be fed. So that's, that's the way we should come to God's word. We don't come to God's word. You know when you come to... You know when you come to a meal and you didn't know you were going to have a meal, so you've already had a meal and you come and you're already full? Has that ever happened? You know what that's like. You accidentally had a meal and then you discover you're having another meal and you've got to, you can't enjoy the meal because you're already full of something else. Here's our danger. We come to God's word and it's like we come and we're already full of all sorts of other rubbish. The McDonald's that we've already eaten that we come to God's word and there's a feast here for us but we can't enjoy it because there's so much junk in our lives. And, and, and really what that, that song is helping us to do is to say, Lord, please feed us today. Give us good food. We're famished. Would you give us good food? And that's what God's word promises to be. So we're going to read Mark uh, chapter 14. And it's just a short little bit today. Um, we're going to read from verse 27 um, of Mark chapter 14. And Jesus is speaking. He says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. What we're going to see uh, this afternoon is that there is a line that you must not cross. You mustn't get confused about. It's more important than the yellow line on the edge of the underground station. It's more important than any other line in your life. I'm going to show you a line that we have to get clear, and it will save us from a lifetime of stress and disappointment. That's where we're going, but let's, let's, let's just see where, where we're at in the story. Jesus, in Mark's Gospel, is approaching the cross. He's going to die. It is crystal clear from all that Jesus has said so far. But here's what's interesting in, in all that we've been seeing. Jesus is so deliberate in what he's doing. Nothing's random. Nothing is sort of chaotic and out of control. Everything has meaning. It's loaded with meaning and significance. Jesus is in control. So last week, do you remember we saw a, a meal with his friends? Jesus is eating a meal with his friends. The bread and the wine, the Passover meal. So familiar an annual feast that they'd have, they'd have eaten so many times before, but, but now so different. The bread is the body of Jesus, which is going to be broken at the cross. The cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is going to be shed at the cross. And now the, this meal is dripping with emotion and, and, and meaning. Do you see? And in that context, okay, you've got to understand, it's such an intensely emotional moment. In that context, Jesus says some really strange things. So look at verse 18. This is from last week. Look at verse 18. It's 
the night before Jesus dies on the cross. He's having this meal with his friends. And in verse 18, look what he says. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. One of you is going to betray me. That's quite a shocking thing to say to your closest. These are your closest 12 friends. One of you is going to betray me. Can you feel the, the significance? Feel the emotion of it? Don't, don't you think that'd leave them pretty shaken? We're told that one by one they go around and surely not me, Jesus. It won't, it won't be me. And Jesus says, yes it, yes, it is one of the 12. It is one of you. And then we're told in verse 26, if you look down, they sing a hymn together. So they sing. Do you ever picture Jesus singing? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus sang. They sing a hymn at this most intensely emotional moment. Their heads are still spinning, thinking, well, whose body, blood, betrayal, what is going on? And they head out and then Jesus says something else, which would have completely shaken their world. Look at verse 27. You will all fall away. I mean, don't you feel into this emotionally charged atmosphere? Jesus says, one of you will betray me and all of you will desert me. That is strange. Jesus looks them in the eye and he says, not one of my closest friends, not one of you will stand by me in my suffering. I will go to the cross and I will die alone. Jesus is very clear about what's going to happen. And it might be tempted for us to feel a bit sorry for Jesus. It might be tempted to think, oh, that's a shame. You know, perhaps Jesus is saying, oh, you'll probably all betray me. You'll probably all let me down. He's not saying that. Actually, there's deep significance in the aloneness of Jesus. It mattered that Jesus died alone. I want to show you that. It was really important that Jesus died alone. Now, we know that because after both of the times, one of you will betray me, all of you will desert me. Jesus says after both of those, and that is the plan. It was written that that would happen. One of you will betray me. And then in verse 20, he says, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. Jesus, that's the way. That's the way it was written. That is the plan. Then again, in verse 27, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It had to happen this way. The aloneness of Jesus, there's something about the aloneness of Jesus, which is hugely important to the plan. Now, that surely makes us ask why. Why did Jesus have to die alone? Why couldn't he have had some friends with him? Why couldn't someone have helped him? Right. Remember, all the way through this book of Mark, that Mark has been at pains to show us that he has got good news to announce. He has news of monumental significance that he's writing down for the world. Um, just go back to Mark chapter one, verse one. We were here like a year and a half ago in Mark chapter one, verse one. So let me refresh your memories in case you weren't here or have forgotten. This is how Mark starts his gospel, okay? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, that's the king, the son of God. 
Mark says, I have good news, and my good news is not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it's not a religion, it's a man, it's a person. It's a king. It's the son of God. That's the gospel. That is Mark's good news. And as you watch him through the pages of Mark's gospel, it becomes crystal clear, it's all about Jesus. It's all about this man. And as he approaches the cross, the distinction gets clearer and clearer between Jesus and his disciples. Between Jesus and everyone else. It is not Jesus and his friends. It is not Jesus with a little bit of help from Peter, John and James. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves. There is no one else who saves. There is no other good news for this world. He must go to the cross alone because he alone can save. The good news rests entirely in the person of Jesus. Right, let me put the same thing in different words. In the words of Mark 14. Come back to Mark 14, to our passage. Let me put the same thing in different words. Jesus is the shepherd and his people are the sheep. That is the distinction. That is the line I want to etch into your heart this afternoon. There is a distinction between Jesus and his people, between the shepherd and the sheep. And we must not blur that line. The shepherd is not one of the sheep. And the sheep are not many shepherds. Do you see, okay, this... So the sheep don't have a little election and go, right, let's choose one of us to be our shepherd. I have a limited knowledge of sheeping and shepherding. <laughs> which may be obvious from my use of terms. But my limited knowledge of sheeping and shepherding is that the sheep don't have a say in who the shepherd is. The sheep don't say, hey, let's choose the biggest, strongest, cleverest Nicest, kindest. Let's have an election. Why don't we elect one? Let's have a campaign. Let's all support our candidates. Then we'll put our little sheepy crosses and we'll choose our shepherd. No, it doesn't work like that. Because the shepherd is something, they're different. <laughs> they're made of different stuff. They're a different thing. You can't get that Distinction wrong. You've got to be clear on that. Don't blur the lines. They have an altogether different role to play in the drama. Now that's really clear, right? When the lion comes to attack the sheep, then whose job is it to defend the sheep? It's the shepherd, right? And the shepherd alone. The shepherd doesn't hide behind a wall and chuck over one of the little sheep to the lion. Go, you go fight him. Perhaps if he eats you, he'll leave us alone. The shepherd doesn't even say, right sheep, gather around. We're going to work together on this. Together, we're stronger. Together, we can do this. The shepherd goes, right, you sheep, you stay there. I'll handle this. And the shepherd places himself between the lion and the sheep, and the shepherd saves the sheep, the shepherd alone. That's how it works. If you are a sheep then the shepherd is your hero. The shepherd is your gospel. The shepherd is your good news. 
The shepherd stands apart. The sheep need the shepherd. The shepherd does not need the sheep. Except that if he didn't have any sheep, he wouldn't be a shepherd. <laughs> One would imagine. Now that's why Jesus goes to the cross alone. You have to understand that. This is why Jesus says, not one of you sheepy sheeps are going to come with me to the cross. You will all fall away because it's my job and mine alone. I am the shepherd. and I will save. He knows that one will betray. He knows all will desert. And that is the line. Now I want to say to you that I think that the blurring of this line between the shepherd and the sheep is the cause of most of the stress in our lives. But I wonder if it's even the cause of all of the stress in our lives. That we blur this distinction. And we try to play the part of shepherd rather than accepting that we're sheep. And so here's the line between the shepherd and the sheep. And we think, I'm going to pop myself this side of the line. Yes, Jesus is great, but I'm going to stand with Jesus and I'm going to help Jesus and I'm going to help Jesus to fix my problems and I'm going to help Jesus to sort the world out and I'm going to... Don't blur the line. We're sheep. It's not a role that Peter found easy to accept. It's not a role that we find easy to accept either. But if we can truly understand what this means this afternoon, it will be so liberating for us. So I want us to start... By a close examination of the shepherd. Okay, we're going to look at the shepherd, and then very briefly at the end, we're going to look at the sheep. So let's let's think together um, about the shepherd, and uh, let me let me try and show you as clearly as I can why Jesus alone is the shepherd. Uh, three things I want to show you about the shepherd. The first thing is that the shepherd needs to be God. Okay, for the shepherd to be any good, he needs to be God. When Jesus uh, talks about himself as the shepherd, he is drawing on a rich theme of the Bible. It's not a random kind of, oh, let me have a little think. I'm like a, oh, I'm like a shepherd. No, Jesus is drawing on, like there's, there's a thread weaving its way through all the pages of the Bible. The shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd, all the way through the pages of the Bible. And Jesus is drawing on that thread and he says, when he says shepherd, he loads it with meaning. So, for example, lots of you may well be familiar with Psalm 23. What does Psalm 23 say? The great shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Do you see that the shepherd, right? This theme, who's the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Couldn't be clearer. God is the shepherd that the people need. But let's keep that theme going and particularly, and you'll see why in a minute, we're going to land in Zechariah, that well-known little book, which I'm sure you all are saying, oh yeah, Zechariah, yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, here you go. Uh, have a look at this from Zechariah 9. The Lord their God, basically what's happening in Zechariah is God's people are in a bit of a mess. Uh, they need a bit of saving, as is normally the case. <laughs> the Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. 
They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. God says there's coming, there's a day on that day, on a day. There's a day coming when God himself will shepherd his people, when he will save his people like a shepherd saving his flock and then they will sparkle. There's a day. Or just in the next um, couple of, next chapter in Zechariah 10, see what God says about human shepherds, the human leaders of his people. He says, my anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah. Here's the problem. Every human shepherd fails. Every human leader fails. Even the best of them, they all fail. Because you need a shepherd who is God. Then here comes Jesus. Jesus who says in our passage here, he talks about himself as the shepherd. He uses this quote and refers to himself as the shepherd. Do you see what he's claiming? This is a claim to be God. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, that's me. That's me. God himself will come and shepherd his people on that day. Oh, hello, that's this day. The day Zechariah was looking forward to, that's today. I've come to shepherd. That is why Jesus must die alone. That is why only Jesus stands that side of the line, because only he's God, the son of God, the eternal, awesome son of God. He's a good shepherd. But secondly, about the shepherd... um, The shepherd needs to be struck. Do you notice that? Just look down at the passage again. Jesus says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherds and the sheep will be scattered. The shepherd, this is, now this gets a bit weird, right? This gets a bit puzzling. Because so far it was all going really, really well. God himself, come to shepherd his people, save the people, make them sparkly. Nice. But now suddenly Jesus says, I'm going to be struck and you're all going to be scattered. That's a bit weird. Why does Jesus need to be struck? Now, I think we struggle with this because we, when I think of shepherd, I tend to think, I I, I try not to, but I tend to think of little Bo Peep um, watching her sheep. Wasn't she? She was like a shepherd then, wasn't she? And uh, so, you know, I I tend to have an image of a shepherd that it's a fairly gentle you know, it's a gentle thing. You sit in the fields and you watch your sheep and it's all very gentle. Actually, that's not, that's not really the picture of what it means to be a shepherd. To be a shepherd means to enter into war, battle. If you're going to be a shepherd, you have to be able to fight. A shepherd who won't fight is a useless shepherd. Because when the lion comes, you've got to be ready to fight. Fighting to protect the sheep. And Jesus says that is exactly why I've come. Jesus is the one who will be struck. Now, again, there's a puzzle though in Mark 14. Who's striking the shepherd? Have a look at that. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That comes from Zechariah. Same place that we've had all this shepherd stuff already. 
And here's the weird thing. God has just said he's going to come. He's going to come as the shepherd. He's going to come. And then he says, and when that shepherd, on that day, when the God shepherd comes, God says he will strike that shepherd with his sword. The I in that verse is God. It's God. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. God is going to strike his shepherd. That's slightly weird. Until you understand another verse in Zechariah. We've got it. See, Zechariah, you can wait. It all, when Jesus quotes this, it's not this little bit. The whole thing comes into play. So have a look at this verse from Zechariah 13. It's all the same story. It's all the same thing. You'll notice because it's still on that day. Same day. The same day when the shepherd king comes to make the sparkly people. The same day when the shepherd is struck. Look what it says. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And here is the point. When the shepherd is struck, a fountain is opened. And that fountain flows from the shepherd to cleanse the people. You see, our greatest problem as sheep, the great problem that sheep have is not lions and stuff out there. The great problem that we have is that we are not clean. We are not pure. And therefore we deserve to be struck. And so... It's not a lion coming towards us. You've got to picture this now, okay? You've got to think, right? It's not a lion running towards us. It is the sword of God's anger. So the sword, right, the sword of God's anger is coming towards us because of our sin and impurity. Where does the shepherd stand? How does a shepherd work? Where does he stand? He doesn't chuck the little ones in front and go, you go take the sword. The shepherd places himself between the sword, the sword of God's right anger. And he's placed himself between that sword and between his sheep. And he stands in the way. And what happens? He is struck. At the cross, Jesus is struck by the sword of God's anger. He protects the sheep. And what happens is as he is struck, a fountain is opened and the sheep are washed clean by the fountain. That's why the shepherd had to be struck. Because the sheep are in danger, and the shepherd's job is to save. That's why it has to be Jesus, alone. Only he is God, and only he is the one who was willing to stand in the place and be struck. (coughs) But even that isn't enough. There's one third thing about the shepherd. He needs to be God. He needs to be struck. And thirdly, he needs to go ahead. You see, here's the thing, right? Have a look at what happens. Um, Jesus says, verse 27, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. It isn't enough. This is going to shock you, right? Uh, this is, this is, uh, can I say this? Okay, if any, I, okay, if any of you cut this little bit out of my sermon and then post it somewhere and accuse me of heresy, then I will be very sad. <laughs> it is not enough that Jesus died for you. It's not enough. He had to rise again. And the reason he had to rise again 
because you need more than just forgiving. You need to be led by a shepherd. Look, imagine I find a sheep. Okay? Imagine I'm walking along one day and I find a sheep in a ditch. And it's on its back, kicking its legs around. And it can't get out. Help, help, I'm in a ditch. And I'm, because I'm a compassionate, loving person, and it makes me feel good, I save the sheep. I go down into the ditch. I lift the sheep. I become covered in filth and muck. But I lift the sheep, and I put it on its right legs. I say, there you go, sheep. I'm your saviour. And I walk off, feeling good. And the next day I'm walking along, and I see the same sheep in the ditch, on its back, with its legs in the air. And I say, sheep, I'll save you. And I go down into the ditch, I get covered in mud, I lift the sheep out, I put it on its feet, and, and, and off I walk, feeling good about myself. I'm the saviour of the sheep. The next time I go along, I find the sheep on its back, and I say, sheep, I'm going to save you. I get down into the ditch, I get covered in mud, I lift it up, put it on the right feet, walk away, feeling good about myself. <laughs> next day I walk along, I see the sheep in the ditch. I don't know how many days it would take me, but let's say it just took four, for the sake of time. At some point, it's going to dawn on me that this sheep needs more than lifting out of the ditch. It needs someone who will protect it and care for it and lead it. At some point, I'm going to have to say, listen, sheep, this isn't working. Why don't you come and live in my garden? Which I don't have. (laughs) Why don't you come and live with all my other sheep that I have? My flock. And I will take care of you. And you have to understand that Jesus didn't come into the world, go, fine, right, bish, bash, bosh, I forgive your sin, blah, 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 I'll make you all clean, nice, nice stuff, back to heaven. That's not how it works. Jesus came to save you completely. To get the thingy out of the ditch on its right feet. I haven't saved it completely because it's going to end up back in the ditch. Jesus came to lift us out of the ditch and then he rose from the dead to go ahead of us to lead the way, to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You need a shepherd who goes ahead of you. And if we got this crazy idea that somehow being a Christian means, oh yeah, once once upon a time I prayed a prayer and Jesus forgave my sin and it's some kind of transaction. Rubbish. Jesus came to be your shepherd. To lift you out of the ditch. To stand in the way. To take the full force of the sword of God's judgment. To open a fountain which makes you clean. And then he came. He rose again from the dead to lead you and to guide you. That's the shepherd. Three points about the shepherd, one point about the sheep as we finish. Here's my one point about the sheep. Sheep are really thick. (laughs) That's my point. We are so slow to learn this. We make this mistake over and over again. Just look at Peter. Peter's response. Peter declared. I love that. Peter didn't say, he didn't... It's not just, Peter gently suggested that he might be okay. Peter declared, I, even if all fall away, I will not. It's a heroic, passionate plea. 
And I love this about Peter. Peter is so kind of like, Jesus, I think you're probably right about the others. I think you're on to something with them. I've always had my suspicions. I think they will. But not me, Jesus. Jesus, I'm your side of the line. Jesus, it's me and you right to the end. It's me and you. I'm not going to stuff this up. I won't blow it, Jesus. And Jesus is quite emphatic. Verse 30, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter, you are not even going to last one evening. Not even one evening. You are not anywhere near as strong as you think you are. You are not anywhere near as brave as you think you are. You are not anywhere near what you think you are. Not even one evening. I mean, surely, you know, you can imagine Peter going, look, I think I could do one evening. Three times, to fail three times in one evening. Jesus, yeah. And Peter has the audacity to tell Jesus he's wrong. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now, let's be fair to Peter. Okay? I think Peter really meant this. I think in that moment, Peter genuinely meant it. Jesus, I will die with you. I love you. I will go and I will die with you. His heart is right. His desire is right. But here's where he's got it wrong. He is completely unaware of his own utter weakness. He can't do it. Do you understand this, right? Jesus is saying to Peter, you will not last five minutes without me. I have to go and die on a cross. I have to be struck. And in that moment, you will be without a shepherd. And you will not last five minutes without me. That's what Peter had to learn. And I think we're so slow. I know that I'm so slow. I think it could never happen to me. You know, I think, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I see that you're the one who died for me. I love you. You know, I, I, yes, I'll do anything for you. You and me, Jesus, yes, we're going to do this. And it's as if Jesus says gently, get back your side of the line. Get back your side. There's only one who saves. It's only me. And I think it is really, really humbling. I... I, I I think what Peter says here really has impacted my heart this week. As I thought, how often I've said, I think I'm different. It, could, it, it couldn't happen to me. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't fail. And I think unless we have a profound sense of our own utter weakness, then we're in serious danger. Unless we believe that we could fall, that we could fall away, that we could fail, then I think we will never really understand Jesus, why we need Jesus so much.
It's one of those weird things, isn't it? According to the Bible, if you're one of Jesus' sheep, you are utterly, utterly safe. Utterly safe. He loves you. No one can snatch you. He protects you. He stands between you and the sword. He's the one who goes ahead of you. He leads you. You're utterly safe. And yet over and over again, the New Testament says, be careful. Don't get proud. Don't get self-confident. Don't get self-reliant. Stay your side of the line. You're a sheep. You will be scattered the moment you turn away from Jesus. You have to cling to him. But here's what I love, and we're going to finish with this, and it's a bit naughty because it's sneaking ahead. And I'll probably regret this when I get to chapter 16, but I want to show you two words. <laughs> go, to chapter, go to the very end of Mark's gospel. Two words. Two words that I think are perhaps, if I was Peter, would be the most precious words in the whole world to me. In chapter 16, Jesus has gone to the cross. He has been the shepherd who has been struck by the sword of God's judgment. He has taken the full force of God's anger that Peter deserves. And then on Easter Sunday morning, he rises from the dead to go ahead of them into Galilee. And look what it says. Um, The women come to the tomb. Look at verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Why do they say and Peter? Because I think Peter would be thinking... I think I've blown it. I don't think he means me. And Jesus wants Peter to know it is for you. This is our shepherd, okay? Sorry. This is our shepherd. We stuff up all the time, we fail, we make a mess. And Jesus says, it's for you. That's why I had to die. That's why I had to give my life. Because you don't last five minutes without me. And he comes to us in our ditch and he picks us up and he puts us on our right feet. And then he says, now come on, come follow me. This afternoon, Jesus is the shepherd. He's the shepherd who went to a cross who gave his life and who rose again. And he says to you, don't be so proud. You're only a sheep, but that's why I came. So my big question for you as we finish is, will you let Jesus be your shepherd today, this week? Will you see that you need him? Will you ask him to lead you and to guide you and to save you? Will you stop trying to be the shepherd of your life? Stop trying to be the one who puts it right, who fixes everything, who thinks you can solve all the problems. And fall down before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a shepherd. And we thank you that that shepherd, our great King Jesus, was struck 
on our behalf. And that as he was struck, a fountain was opened up. A fountain that washes us clean of sin. And thank you that he was then raised from the dead. And that failures like Peter and failures like us can find him to be our shepherd. Help us to live this week trusting in him alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.